Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim, you and I are going to go to get our doctorate degrees, emerge in our white lab coats. We are going to go visit a patient (laughs) who is in dire, dire need of musical medicine. Yeah, he's Uh, in a bad way. A celebrity guest. A celebrity guest who has been a music lover all his life, but he has run out of time, run out of options, knows there's great new music out there, but doesn't know where to start. And we're going to give him some prescriptions of what new music to go out there and buy and cure him of his uh, musical illness. Plus, we're going to have reviews of two new albums that you might like, the latest from the Electro Clash Provocateur Gender Bender Peaches, and the uh, political jam band from out in San Francisco, Michael Franti and Spearhead. But first, as always, we have some news. That's a little bit of Arctic Monkeys, a band that uh, went not to radio or not to MTV to break its new music, but to the social interaction site MySpace.com, one of many bands in the world right now that are using that website to break new songs. One of the most popular social networking sites on the Internet, and in fact, according to a recent news report, uh, the MySpace.com site has overtaken Yahoo Inc.'s email gateway as the single most visited U.S. website. Jim, I think the key here is that the MySpace.com phenomenon just continues to grow and grow and grow. Recent surveys find that 61% of teenagers have a personal profile on sites such as MySpace or Friendster or Zanga. 
The music industry has absolutely noted that MySpace.com phenomenon in terms of breaking bands. You've seen you know, uh, notable bands like White Whale, uh, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, a Death Cab for Cutie, uh, which is now affiliated with a major label. Tapes where, and Tapes from Minneapolis. Where, yeah, exactly. These bands were basically using MySpace.com to break new music. Instead of taking it to radio stations, they're debuting songs on MySpace mm-hmm. and having fans sign up and, and, and developing a following for this music and for these bands well, and as a result, through the website. Even established major label bands now have to start a MySpace page and give fans something interesting there for free or they're considered... Nobody. It is the online, you know, ethereal equivalent of kids hanging and talking <laughs> about something that they think is cool in the yep. lunchroom, yep. right? So, so Rupert Murdoch's uh, News Corp bought MySpace for $580 million <laughs> a year ago. And, I mean, obviously they're seeing this as the way to reach a generation that has become impervious to advertising yep. through traditional media. And that's why you're seeing spinoffs of MySpace like this one. Oh, my God. Walmart is getting into the game, which is uh, a little bit dubious because I think they're kind of missing the point about MySpace. MySpace is sort of perceived as this free zone where kids can pretty much do whatever they want in communicating with their peers. I mean, there's obvious and, and, and you know, well-founded concerns about pornography and, and predators on the site. But Walmart response to the MySpace.com uh, controversy is to create its own more sanitized version of a MySpace. Uh, it's at Walmart.com school your way. <laughs> and right away, that sort of tells you all you need to know. It is heavily censored and heavily observed by the, uh, the parent company. Any video that is being used on the site needs to go through a series of qualifiers, materials that are profane, disruptive, unlawful, harmful, threatening, abusive, vulgar, obscene, hateful, or racially or ethnically motivated or otherwise objectionable can't be aired, which basically wipes out just about the entire MySpace.com video catalog. The whole issue of control is exactly what the MySpace.com teens are trying to escape, and Walmart is trying to create a site which is basically very controlling. So it'll be interesting well, to see if their experiment works. They're trying to escape advertising, and there's pages like Beth's Backyard Club, where you find a picture of some girl named Beth <laughs> in a prom dress that just happens to be available for purchase at Walmart, and they'll tell you something like, I'll go to school my way by looking hot in my Walmart clothes. <laughs> Even the most clueless 12-year-old can see right through that. That is the first single from Janet Jackson's forthcoming album. You have to wait for the record until September 26th. But the single, Call On Me, is in its fourth week on top of the Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs chart. Janet is uh, duetting with Nelly there. We talked last week, Greg, about the state of the music industry at the half-year point. Business is up some 24% if you consider album sales and DVD sales and downloads and singles. But the thing that the record industry remains incredibly concerned about is actual album sales in record stores or online through places like Amazon. Not just downloading music on iTunes, but what is going to still make people pay, sometimes inflated prices of 20 bucks for a CD. There's two stories of interest, uh, two, I think, rather not successful ways that they're coming up with an answer to this problem. One is on the Janet Jackson album, which is inexplicably called 20 Years Old. I mean, <laughs> isn't Miss Jackson about one and a half times... 
older uh, than that yeah, at this point. Yeah. Fans are, are going to be able to download from the net 33 different images of Janet, most of them scantily clad, involving only a brassiere. Of course, yeah. Uh, that they can then fashion their own cover for this record after buying it. Plus, Janet is personally going to choose four finalists, uh, the most creative uh, covers, and they're going to appear on selected, publicly distributed copies of the album. This is one of those ideas, <laughs> like when TV Guide does covers with all four of the Beatles, so the right. Beatlemaniacs have to buy like all four. But another woman who has some problems and is trying to come up with some gimmicks to hype her new music that people just may not be interested in. I mean, I, why would people care that Janet or Jessica Simpson are putting out new albums? Jessica's answer is she is offering a personalized version of her new single, A Public Affair, that you can download and buy from the net that has customized shout-outs to you with your name. It's selling for $1.99, right? So you can buy this single, and the backing vocalist, Jessica herself, hasn't deigned to actually do this, but hired some studio flunkies to do it, have recorded 500 first names, so that in the middle of the song, you buy your personalized version, and she shouts out, or the backing vocalist, shout out your name. So of course, we had to do this. Here is the personalized Jessica Simpson Greg version of a public affair. Let's see how she did. God. <laughs> and that's all you get. I think I think Hey Greg appears one more time in the song. You the, get three times. I get it three times, and I get uh, a, a basically Holiday by Madonna it is, it's ripped a rip off. off. I mean, blatantly ripped off. And Jessica herself ain't even singing it. <laughs> it's awful. I, mean, I want to see what the gym song sounds like. Jim, it's Jim. Something wrong with their software there. CBGB, one of the most uh, uh, famous clubs in all of rock history. I mean, maybe after the Cavern Club, the most famous club in Absolutely. all of rock history. Yeah. On the Bowery in New York City, I grew up across the river in Jersey. I would I would come into the city, and I just saw some incredible shows when I was a kid at CBGB. And it's probably old news to most of our listeners that it is closing. The Bowery has been gentrified. Yes. You know, no more bums on the Bowery. CBGB's has been priced out, and it's closing in September. It's been in its death throes now for like two or three years but it's working up to finally being done. The distressing news is what CBGB's owner, Hilly Crystal, is going to do for an encore. Oh, this is horrible. Hilly Crystal is going to take CBGB to Las Vegas, <laughs> the land of Celine Dion, Elton John. This place is a dump, Jim. I, you know, you and I have been in there countless times. It is most it's famous for being a dump. dump. Yeah. It is the anti-Vegas Vegas. I mean, it's there's nothing Vegas about what was CBGB. The, it was the birthplace of punk rock, where, you know, literally from the audience, suddenly a band would step on stage, and it would be Blondie. Yeah. It would be Patti Smith. It would be the Talking Heads. It would be the Ramones. It was no attitude. There's no star. There's no glitz. There's no glamour. I think it's only fair that Celine Dion now play CBGB when I th- it goes to She Vegas. belongs there. I mean, there. That's, that's all that belongs there now. 
Ah, yes, it is time for us to slip into the guise of rock doctors. I think our patient is in the waiting room with one of those uh, paper gowns on. Yes, the stethoscope looks very good on your shoulders, by the way, Jim. Thank you. Very nice touch. You got your tongue depressor? I do indeed. Let's dive into this. We are on the phone with Peter Sagal. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, our colleague here on Chicago Public Radio from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He has volunteered to be our inaugural victim yes. here on this idea of uh, music. Patient. He's a patient. Oh, he's not a victim. <laughs> he's, if, if he's a victim, then we have failed, Mr. Dirigatis. I've already set up. to keep him alive and well yeah, and listening right. to great music. I've already set up That's the malpractice suit. Peter, you know, it fascinates me. I love your show, and you are on top of every aspect. You know, you know all the real news, but then you know all these wacky sidebar stories, you know, something that made the front page in, in, on the paper in North Dakota, and you can riff on it uh, on your show. But staying on top of all that leaves you very little time, I gather, to be on top of the music world. I think that's a wonderful explanation, and I think I will <laughs> adopt that. The reason I know nothing about pop music is not that I am a dork but that um, I'm far too busy with important things. That's it. Thank you. I feel so much better already. Wait a minute, Peter. You know something about pop music. You you listen to pop music. You've got favorites in pop music. Talk about the stuff that you like so that we can get a sense of where to send you for your next musical purchases. Well, for me, basically, the alpha and the omega of my pop music life is Elvis Costello. He, he is the incarnation of the word, as far as I'm concerned. I've, I've, I have all of his records. I've been obsessively listening to him for 20 years. I've been to see him in, uh, in concert maybe a dozen times. It's weird. Every time I go, everybody in the audience is older. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Blood and chocolate I hope you're satisfied with you The next question would be, well, which Elvis Costello? Because there's about 20, 25 different versions of Elvis Costello. You have to be more specific. Where exactly is the pain? (laughs) Well, here's the funny thing about that. I mean, certainly true that there are some of his records that I listen to more than others. For example, I haven't pulled out his collaboration with, um, oh, what's it, Burt Bacharach for a while. Good. That's a good start. (laughs) You get that that one. You don't like the Juliet letters either, do you? I, I kind of do. Ooh. It pains me to mention these delicate concerns. But what I have to tolerate your family jewels, I really mustn't grumble. Cause when I die, the cats and dogs will jump up and down, and you little swines will get nothing. way, maybe it's because he's what, 10 years older than I am, we've sort of grown up together, he and I. My tastes have sort of changed along with his. For example, as I got older, I find myself more interested in more interesting musical arrangements, more lush accompaniments, more interesting musical stuff than simply some angry young man wailing away in a guitar. Mm-hmm. So I've been sort of going with him, although I go back and listen to his records of, you know, wailing away in a guitar and still enjoy <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> okay. That helps. Okay. Sophisticated pop arrangements, although you don't like the back rack. Why don't you like the back rack? Uh, because it has Burt Backrack on it. Oh. He's allergic to back rack. I'm allergic to back rack. Also, Burt Backrack is the kryptonite of irony. And one of the things I was going to say about Elvis Costello is, and why I like him so much, is his lyrics, of course. He's a brilliant lyricist. 
he always approaches his topics, particularly, of course, his love songs, well, shall we say, an edge. All right, don't blame Backrack for the lyrics, because Hal David wrote those. Right, um, okay. Although I would join you in saying bad things about Mr. Backrack. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Cott, and I have this fight all the time. So he's just obsessed with the Backrack thing. Let, let's move on. Smart, witty, literate, ironic, erudite yeah. lyrics, and, and lush arrangement. Yeah, so you're looking for stuff in that vein that's a little newer. In that vein, and I also wouldn't mind stuff that sort of expands my uh, my horizons a little bit because there's only so much bitter complaining that you can listen to without you know becoming <laughs> more bitter than you already are. You right. Know? I will also say that one of the odd things that sometimes happens to me that makes me think I need to get out a little more musically is every now and then something in some other genre, hip hop most particularly, will sort of break through. Take something like Kanye West's song "Jesus Walks." Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the, I was the last person in America to hear that song. I know that because I got um, <laughs> a note, a little certificate in the mail from his record company. All right. Well, Peter is uh, showing he really wants to open up. He wants to get some new stuff here. He's clearly got an open mind for this stuff. So, Plus Jim, expand. let's let's write a prescription. Well, yeah, let's guy. give him our and diagnosis here. Given what you just said, Peter, I have to uh, two uh, bands immediately spring to mind of fairly recent vintage uh, that we have reviewed very favorably, actually, on Sound Opinions. New Pornographers, with a record called Twin Cinema, would be right up your alley. Sophisticated arranging, really smart songwriting, very literate songwriting, and super melodic, uh, really catchy stuff. Doesn't have the lushness of Burt Bacharach that you loathe, but still uh, relatively complex pop songs, heavily melodic with smart lyrics. And the other band that I was thinking of is the Decemberists with a record called Picaresque. I could see these guys doing a Broadway version of this record at some point in their careers. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I think they, again, have a lot of fun with the pop song format that Costello has tweaked throughout his 20-year career so well. So those are my two choices. Have you heard of either one of those? And, I have, uh, actually. And yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned them because both of them came by way by accident. Well, okay. Of course, right. because I'm lazy that I never actually tracked that anymore <laughs> in their music. So. <laughs> That's going to be your assignment. You're going to have to try these prescriptions for a week and then All get right. back to us on Tell Us If They're Working. I was going to recommend a band called Bell and Sebastian. Now, I understand you've had an adverse reaction to this group previously. It's true. Right? But uh, you got to try the new and improved formula because the Life Pursuit, their latest album, is a distinct improvement. I agree. Bell and Sebastian previously for much of their career has been a little too twee. Uh, Lightweight. Dis- yeah, yeah. Despite Stuart Murdoch, the band leader, having some great, very literary lyrics that I think will appeal to you, this new record is is much more upbeat. They've beefed up the sound and it's got a lot of uh, dance uh, underpinning and I think you may like it. I All think right. I may do the may do the thing. I mean, if I like them, that means I have to admit a good friend of mine was correct about something, which will be hard to do. No, but it's quite possible that he doesn't like this record. Oh, that's Because it is a change of form for them. Yeah. And then you can show how hip you are by saying, well, see, you know, I've followed them in this bold new direction while you, (laughs) you know, are are no longer musically inquisitive enough to go down this road. (laughs) Oh, you like the early Bell and Sebastian. Never mind. Yeah, sniff, sniff. Before they mature. Right. Yeah, all right. And the other thing is you've sampled Jesus Walks. You're intrigued by Kanye. Let's go all the way. Let's listen to Late Registration, his uh, second album, Incredible uh, Arrangements, orchestrated by John Bryan. When do you ever hear anybody rapping over a string quartet? And I think, Peter, if you're, if you're ready to take the leap and, and, you know, saying that Jesus Walks song is kind of interesting, you may really find something here that will be rewarding. That'll be exciting. It'll give me street cred. Uh, it would. Well, <laughs> I've always you know. wanted that. So we're going to check back with you after you uh, you try this prescription. Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank Feel you. Better already. Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. 
You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are in the midst of our rock doctor diagnosis of Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and we'll be right back. Jim and I are in our rock doctor garb, and we're consulting with Peter Sagel from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hello. Hey, Peter. Yeah. It's Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott from Sound Opinions. Hello, How Jim are you? Hello, DeRogatis and Greg Cott. How are you? Well, it is a week later, Peter, and we want to know if you've been taking your prescription, and <laughs> we're following up. The rock doctors are going to follow up here and see if we diagnosed you correctly. That's what I love about you guys, because you're so caring about your patients. We, we are. Yes, we are. Peter, we would have come and uh, visited you in person and made a house call, but we realize you're far, far away from us. You're in uh, North I'm in, Carolina. I'm in, a, I'm in an overly air-conditioned room in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ah, All right. Wait, wait, don't tell me he's on the road. You know how it is. I mean, I imagine that my life is pretty much analogous to your basic uh, top-level touring rock star. Yeah, are you throwing TVs out the window? Oh, absolutely. Uh, As a matter of fact, although this time I think they bolted it down. Believe me, Keith Moon had nothing on me when it came to your your basic uh, motel room damage. (laughs) I want to say, so desperate was I not to appear any more dorky than I already did. But I really, I mean, I've been going at this with more energy than I applied to, say, my job. I've been listening to these <laughs> records uh, <laughs> consistently and looking at the lyrics on websites. I've been, wow. And, and I have to say, I like all four of them that you, that you prescribed. Hey, um, all right. I, I, I'll work my way up, basically. Okay. Uh, Bell and Sebastian, I, I appreciate what you guys said, and you're right. It's a much different sound than the, that first Bell and Sebastian album I once heard a few years ago. Mm-hmm. They've added all this instrumentation. It's much more interesting. But the problem is, he still has that voice. And he just sounds like he's whining to me. So you either love the voice or you hate the voice. Well, you know, some people could be completely turned off by Elvis Costello's vocal. You think so? 
I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, not yeah, that I would ever sure. admit that he has any flaw, but I guess well, that's he's true. not a he's not a classically good singer. Well, you, you've heard the back rack record that Costello did. I yeah. mean, doesn't it sound like he's being harpooned on a few of those ballads as he's uh, uh, it's, it's trying to hit those notes? It's definitely a good sound for him. I have to no. agree. Although I, I think, as many Elvis, we, as you know, we're all very protective, and we think his singing has come a long way. I I, I like the Decemberists record a lot that you gave me. I think that was pretty cool. Um, Probably my favorite song was 16 Military Wives, which had just a really elaborate orchestration to it. Mm-hmm. As we figured out, I like 16 Military Wives, 32 softly focused, brightly colored eyes, staring at the natural tan, 32 gently clenching wrinkled little Has a has a I don't know who the lead singer for Decembers is. Colin Malloy. Yeah, but he 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 has a voice that that is, I'll say it's an acquired taste, and I'm in the process of acquiring it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's very theatrical. I mean, these guys are Broadway bound. You think? You think? That is the next logical step for the Decembers, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And they would make it a lot cooler than it is right now, I would say. Well, there's that very theatrical nature to the, to their stuff and his very literary lyrics. I mean, I think he fancies himself a little bit like Oscar Wilde of yeah. rock lyricism. More Oscar Wilde than Bro- I say this as, as a kid who grew up going to Broadway musicals, and I ask you this question seriously. Are you high? I mean, <laughs> you don't think, you, don't think I, you I can mean, pull it off? I like him, and I'm not saying he's anything wrong. He's an interesting songwriter, and the performance is interesting, but Broadway? I don't think so. Broadway well, in the Andrew Broadway Lloyd Webber sense. Something like this. There's, there's I a, think they need that. There's the slightest hint of vintage Lloyd Webber or uh, well, Les Miserables. Are you aware of that? I mean, I thought we liked this band. Oh, we do. We do. Absolutely. Well, okay. Yeah, it's on the I'm right saying, side of cheese. Let, let's do something that does bring rock and roll to Broadway. I think the Decembrists would be the, the best choice. We should quit while we're ahead here. We're talking him out of liking the Decembrists, and he <laughs> made a discovery that pleased him. So, But but to be fair, you're saying you liked all of them. You, you didn't really like Bell and Sebastian, but you did like the Decembrists. So I like we're... the Decembrists. I really like the new pornographers. I did before. Okay. I like them even more now. Mm-hmm. Okay. A great band that that's a little less, I mean, just compared to the Decembrists, a little less twee and odd. More straightforward, which I like. I leapt across three or four beds into your arms Where I had hidden myself somewhere in your charm Our golden handshake has been smashed into this shape It's taken magic to a primitive new place Watch them run Although it's the minimum Heroic We hunch together in one chair out on the deck Is that Nico Case guesting on some of those tracks? In oh, yeah. Yes. She's, she sings the lead vocal on, uh, I think, at least two or three of those she's, songs. She's just fantastic. I, I don't think I've ever actually seen her except for some odd photographs, and I have this massive crush on her just because of her voice. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, kind of, I mean, very accessible poppy. You can hear the guitars and the, and the drums, but, man, they're just... They're just good. I like Exuberant. them a lot, but i got to say, this Kanye guy, have you, mm-hmm. you know, does everybody know about this Kanye West guy? 
I mean, I really. It's, it's got I, a little bit of press. I, I know she, this, this this guy deserves some some notoriety. I think, and I I come. I'm I'm just a typical suburban drudge, and all I know about rap is what I watch. You know, when I'm flipping through the channels late at night and come across BET or the Box or something, and just go, my God, what are they doing? Um, but this guy is just amazing, and and I, I'm also one of those snobs who says, well, they can't even sing, can they? Right. Mm-hmm. But his his I mean I don't you don't you don't need me to tell you this that his production is so astonishing and his rhythm is so amazing and his and just the way he he works in all that other musicality and orchestrations and and yeah. samples and stuff is just yeah. stunning. Uh, yeah. And I heard him say nothing's ever promised tomorrow today from the shot like Timmy's a hard away so this is in the name of love like robber say before you ask me to go get a job today can I at least get a raise on the minimum wage and I know the government administer aid so I guess we just pray like the minister say I'll act bar and throw some hot cars the things we seen on the screen is not ours but these looking from the hood so these dreams not far well from the dope boys is the rock stars but they can't cop cars without seeing cop cars I guess they want us all behind bars I know it uh, and I heard them say nothing's ever promised tomorrow today and I heard them say nothing's ever promised tomorrow today but we'll find a way I'm doing my homework. I got to listen to one of the four records. I kept <laughs> wanting to. I kept hoping it was Kanye's turn again. All right, really oh, that's cool. He really converted me on this guy. I'm kind of amazed. Well, you know, he, he's so clouded by uh, every time he opens his mouth. Uh, that tends to overshadow so much of what he's about that people lose sight of the fact that well, the reason people were interested in him in the first place was he was making great music. And you've brought it back to the music, which is what the show is all about, Peter. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Anything, anything I can do to get you guys back on track. Yes. Really. The one thing that's always bothered me about rap is that it's so self-referential. A guy will just stand up and talk about his own life and his own women and his own rivals and his own friendships and his own enemies, and it's like, who cares? Right. But for some reason, particularly a song, even like Gold Digger Mm -hmm. or Crack Music, which I liked a lot, I mean, it it, it really it's so specific that it actually achieves some kind of universality, which I had never experienced before listening to any kind of rap. So I was well, and he, when he's rapping about being at his grandmother's bedside in the hospital, oh and yeah, she's that's dying, an astonishing song. The nurse comes in and asks him for an autograph. I yeah. mean, that's that's just incredible. That's a great moment. Just the personal nature of his songs and what he is talking about. I, I have this feeling that by going on about how much I now like Kanye West, I have now destroyed his career. <laughs> that this is like the end. That he, any credibility he has. That survived everything he's done will now be lost because I like him, and I'm sorry. Well, that, that, that presumes that anybody listens to our show, That's so true. I wouldn't worry about or that. Mine. Yeah. I mean, they'd have to listen. Yeah. To, they'd have to know who I was <laughs> and be listening to your show. So I think he's safe. So Peter, you came to us and you said, you know, I like piano. I like dark, intellectual, witty lyrics. Did we succeed in convincing you that there is stuff worth listening to? Yes, you absolutely did. I'm I'm impressed. I have I have four new bands to follow, or I guess bands and artists to follow. So I'm, I'm pleased and impressed. So uh, we can hang the shingle out. You can, We're now man, in business. Yeah. Dr. Cott, Dr. DeRogatis here in business. People, people think <laughs> critics are worthless. Yeah. No, you're, you're worth the cost of four records I got for free. <laughs> yeah. All right, we want to thank Peter Sagel for being our guest, our patient, our inaugural patient on the Rock Doctor segment of Sound Opinions. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Well, Dr. Cott, I think that went pretty well, don't you? Absolutely. 
people who are in need of some consultations, some free diagnostics from the Rock Doctors, as long as you have insurance coverage or an HMO member, you can contact us anytime at interact at soundopinions.org or visit the website and give us your feedback on this or any other segment of this show. Up next, we've got reviews of new albums from Spearhead and Peaches, as well as my Desert Island Jukebox pick. Sound Opinions, you're listening to Michael Fronte of Spearhead singing the song Time to Go Home from a new album called Yell Fire. Fronte is a San Francisco-based artist who's been around for more than 15 years. He started out in an agit rap group called The Beatniks, and then again another group called The Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. Very harsh, abrasive, almost industrial style take on hip-hop music. Very political, very socially conscious rapper. The group morphed into a group called Spearhead in the mid-90s, where Fronte took a more of a soulful, funkier, spiritual take on that political commentary that he'd been doing in Disposable Heroes and the Beatniks, and made a series of records that kind of steeped in the tradition of Sly and the Family Stone, Parliament Funkadelic, started throwing in some reggae touches, also started hearing some elements of the anthemic elements of U2, which is no surprise because he uh, was chosen by U2 as one of the opening acts in, on one of its early 90s tours. He is now on a record called Yell Fire, which was inspired by a journey to the Middle East that he made a couple of years ago. He traveled to uh, Baghdad, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, armed only with a guitar and a video camera, and he came out of it not only with this album but a, a documentary film, I Know I'm Not Alone, which he's been showing as part of his tour that's going on this summer and fall. Yeah, I think it's coming uh, out on DVD at the same yeah. time as the album. And there's also a book with the same name as the movie. Right. 
Uh, actually, extraordinary stuff where he gets down not only into the front lines and talks to the generals and the soldiers and the combatants, but the people who are affected by this war, uh, by these wars in the Middle East. And uh, this album clearly inspired by the struggles in the Middle East. And again, from a humanistic perspective, as opposed to a global, what does this mean for political strategy? Uh, one other thing you should know about this record is that part of it was recorded in Jamaica with one of the most famous reggae rhythm sections of all time, drummer Sly Dunbar and bassist Robbie Shakespeare. For the last 30 years, they've been synonymous with the reggae groove, and Fronte went right to the source when he recorded a good chunk of this record by combining Spearhead with Sly and Robbie on several of these tracks. Uh, Here's an example of what he's up to. Uh, It's a song called Everybody on a Move, and, you know, inspirational lyrics in here. Not only talking about protest and anti-war uh, sentiments, but I like my bass loudy, loudy, louder. Words to live by as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> when you've got uh, Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare in your band, what else can you say? It's Michael Fronte and Spearhead on Sound Opinions. Michael Franti and Spearhead on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. It's a song called Everybody on a Move. Greg, I have to uh, preface what I'm about to say by saying I have been a Franti fan for quite some time. I loved Beatniks, Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy, and much of what Spearhead was doing over the last five, six years. Uh, when you would see them live, sometimes the band would be 10 or 12 pieces strong. It was a modern parliament funkadelic with, with hip-hop thrown in. No respect for genre pigeonholing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, he was doing rock, he's doing soul, he's doing hip-hop. Unfortunately, also doing that U2-like arena rock bombast ballad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple songs, but the two that are most egregious here, I Know I'm Not Alone and See You in the Light, are dreadful. Oh, my God. I didn't really think anything could be worse than the bombastic ballads on the last two <laughs> U2 albums. Then I heard Spearhead imitating the last two U2 albums. Now, Franti is a serious political activist. He holds major anti-war rallies on the uh, West Coast, up and down throughout the Bay Area. You know, he's put his money where his mouth is. His movie... I Know I'm Not Alone, is brilliant. When he's interviewing this death metal band on the West Bank, these kids who who just want to rock, and they're finding catharsis from the hell that surrounds them by playing death metal. It's brilliant. There is none of that subtlety and nuance and revelation. I mean, who knew there was death metal on the West Bank? I didn't. You know, there's none of that in the lyrics here. It's two problems. One's musical, one's lyrical. You know, musically, 
Franti, despite being, uh, y- you know, uh, political and brave, I mean, let's not forget much of his career, he's been criticizing gangster rap's violence and misogyny and homophobia and, and taking on the very hip-hop world that he is a part of. That takes guts. So does his political stance on the war. However, he is not above a little commercialism, and he's looking at the modest Yahoo phenomenon, and <laughs> he's saying, I'm going to throw a lot of reggae in here. You know, he, granted, he goes to Kingston. He does it right with Sly and Robbie. He is not particularly good at giving us reggae, and there's a lot of uh, marijuana-heavy jam band pandering in the music, which would still be forgivable if the lyrics were strong, and they're not. I mean, what we heard in the opening, Time to Go Home, those who start wars never fight them, and those who fight wars never like them. Well, no, duh. I mean, you met these people. He met a writer who had uh, all of his fingers blown off in the war. You know, that's the best you can say. Those who who fight wars never like them after seeing these people. You know, or, or this one's nothing like Vietnam, except for the bullets and the bombs. Well, I expect better from this artist. I really, really do. And for that reason, this is right on the cusp of a trash it and or burn it record. Well, I'm with you on the on the U uh, two like anthems. I'll throw in one more. There is love enough. So that gives me about three songs that I don't particularly like on this record. I I, I don't like that direction for him. But I got to say, the rest of it's doing it for me. Um, you're, you're spending way too much time listening to the record and not enough time moving to it. Uh, to my <laughs> mind, this this record is a it makes protest music sound like a, a hell of a party. It sounds like fun. The reggae grooves work really well. I, I mean, he's hired experts you know, to do it, and they mesh really well with Spearhead. Do, I think do you it's think, a wonderful combination. Do you think that he works as well with Sly and Robbie as another artist who you would have never expected this? We talked about this record about a year ago when Sinead O'Connor made a reggae re- I, I mean, I think Sinead's take on reggae was much more credible than, oh, than Spearhead. I, I don't know about that. I, I think Sinead was incredibly sincere in what she was trying to do, but I wouldn't say she was any better than, than Fronte is, is in doing it. I think he, he's a natural for this kind of stuff in that I think he's always felt this music. I've talked to Fronte. You have too, I know, Jim. Yeah. He's a huge fan of Bob Marley and this kind of music. I mean, he's been listening to this stuff all his life. Yeah, but he uses it in the wrong context here. There's a point where he references Peter Tosh's Legalize It yeah. in the middle of a song about revolution, and he's urging America toward a revolution to throw over the imperialist government, and then he's saying, legalize it. Legalize it is a song about legalizing marijuana. Yeah. I don't, you know, I mean, it, it's just kind of gratuitous. And I, again, my disappointment here, if I'd never heard this guy's 20-year musical legacy, perhaps I'd, I'd be coming at this record a little different. I think it's a record that is on the cusp of being meant to be taken seriously. I think it's also meant to be fun. I mean, that lyric I quote, I like my bass loudy, loudy, louder, you know, mm-hmm. quoting Peter Tosh's Legalize It and changing the context. I think he's having a lot of fun with this. I think he realizes that maybe he's been perceived as too earnest, maybe too determined about, you know, let's change the world with a song. And, and you know, he's making it fun now. He's bringing it out on the dance floor. And to me, it really works. I think it's a, it's a buy it record all the way for me. Well, I, w- I was equivocating there saying I'm on the cusp of a, buy, uh, of a burn it or a trash it. But since you're so far over the top saying it's a buy it, I'll go with trash it. <laughs> I just I, I really was let down by this record. I'd rather listen to the death metal kids on the West Bank. So small. And they love it. 
You are listening to a song called The Boys Want to Be Her by an artist from Toronto, the Jewish-Canadian electroclash singer Meryl Nisker, better known as Peaches. It's a challenge, Greg. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on thin ice here, especially since the FCC upped the fines. Talking about this record, I had a challenge when I was writing about it in the Chicago Sun-Times. There's certain things you can't say in the family newspaper or on the public airwaves, but there's a reason that Meryl Nisker, Peaches, traffics in these images, these themes. There's a reason she's got a potty mouth, okay? I I first became aware of her around 2000 when she toured as the opening act with Elastica. She was good friends with Justine Frischman, who convinced her that she could make music of her own. Had never thought about it really before then. And it was aggressive, it was abrasive, and I hated it. And then I heard her 2002 album, Teaches of Peaches. Since then, she has been bubbling under as a real cult star that's just on the edge of breaking out. In that way where, you know, her music fuels the really ritzy fashion shows in New York and in Milan and you know she gets name dropped all over the place by Hollywood stars and she's just been on the edge of stardom since that debut album and the follow up 2003's Father Blanker maybe we can say that Uh, and now comes album number three Impeach My President that's not the word she uses. We can't say what she uses, but, 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 but for our purposes tonight, let's call it Impeach My President. Those first two albums were incredibly stripped down and rather difficult to listen to. They were almost, I don't know, the electronic equivalent of doo-wop or something or a punk rocker, you know, without even a rhythm section. I mean, it's just bare bones. Her instrument of choice was the Roland MC505 beatbox. So this woman who can't really sing, can't really rap, doing these scatological, very sexy, very pouty mouth lyrics over just beats. Now, with album number three, she's really blown it up with the help of two very talented producers, Mickey Petralia and Greg Kirsten, both of whom are best known for doing uh, some of Beck's best work, backing him up. Kirsten is the keyboardist. They also have some extra help. Josh Holm from Queens of the Stone Age and Eagles of Death Metals playing guitar. Her friend Feist, who was guest on Sound Opinions, makes an appearance. Samantha Maloney, who is the drummer for Hole and Motley Crue. And Joan Jett comes by to lend some vocals. I think that's significant because one of Peach big things is questioning gender identity. That song, Boys Want to Be Her. You know, here's a, a female rocker who's so cool and so masculine that the boys are envying her. That's been Joan Jett's whole career, right, is a sort of androgyny. And Peaches is taking it to a new level and, and a new sound and kind of new extremes, <laughs> which is why we have a hard time talking about some of the songs. Let's play one and then give our thoughts. This is a song called Two Guys for Every Girl. And again, it's indicative of half the album. Half the album is political content where she's questioning the uh, Bush administration and America's role in the world today, imperialism. And the other half is her questioning gender roles. You know, why do we assume that men are this and women are that? Here's a good example. The song's called Two Guys for Every Girl, where, you know, she's playing on that notion, apparently. This is Peaches on uh, Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
two guys for every girl. Uh, that's Peach's fantasy from the impeach my blank, impeach my president record. I've been referring it to president, <laughs> referring to it. Two guys for every girl. Well, yes, she is twisting around the famous lyric from the Jan and Dean song, Surf City, two girls for every boy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you come into Surf City, there's two girls for every boy. Well, Peach says, nah, my world, two guys for every girl. That's what yeah. we want. And, and as you said, Jim, she's, she's been all about twisting these gender roles forever. There's that famous picture of her wearing a full beard. Mm-hmm. She just likes to mess with people's image. Yeah, it, it, you know, she's, she wants to shock. Uh, she wants to titillate. Boys want to be her. That's what she's all about. And, and she's played that card for three albums now. The first two albums, done with that little rinky-dink machine, I thought, unlike yourself, I kind of liked the cheesiness, the totteriness, the rinky-dink element of it because it suited the music well. I don't think either one of those albums were complete in themselves as, as great records, but I thought the singles off those records were really fun. Oh, don't get me to. wrong. I like them, too. I just think, you know, Electro Clash as a genre might be a little hard to get into it if yeah. those were your introduction. Right. But, you know, as, as far as the subject matter, I think, you know, this stuff has been going on. I mean, she's a button pusher in the tradition of, you know, Bessie Smith. I mean, you know, <laughs> you go back to Millie Jackson, you yeah. know, who are yeah. doing this kind of thing. You know, David Bowie wearing a dress on the cover of one of his albums in the 70s. I mean, uh, these kind of images have been in, in the musical world for a long time, and Peaches is just doing her take on it. With this third album, she figured, yes, maybe the idea is a little played out, just me and my little machine. I'm going to go out in there with a, you know, a fuller orchestration, doing some rock things. She straddles that disco rock divide throughout her career. Now she's full-on honoring the rock thing with guitars in her band. She's on tour now for the first time with a full-on yep. band, and it, it's very glammy. It's, a, it's very much of a glam rock kind of spectacle. And I have to admit, Watching Peaches do her thing is a lot more fun than listening to it. I find this record a little played out. I think I think the songs are some of the songs are good. Again, she's got a few good singles on this record, but as an album artist, she falls short for me. The ideas, to my mind, aren't strong enough to sustain an entire album's worth of songs. However, she as a visual presence is sort of a performance artist slash rocker slash disco queen slash provocateur a very interesting package you know see the show i'd say go out and see the show before you buy the record wow i'm surprised to hear you say that because i think this is her first beginning to end great album i think she was warming up on the first two i think she got it all right here i think it would be very easy to dismiss this as a smut that's masquerading as something meaningful i'll give you an example you know blender and maxim you know wish they were hustler but they did not quite but really it's the same garbage in the end then on the other hand you have stuff that the traffics in in the elements of smut that can rise to the level of great art you know a last tango in paris or midnight cowboy or a clockwork orange those are all, you know, X-rated films, right? This is an X-rated record that I think works as great art. I think this is a buy-it record. I, I just love it beginning to end. Wow. So this Skanky Ho is preferable to the Nelly Furtado version of the Skanky Ho that you uh, dismissed oh, a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, because this Skanky Ho, uh, A, she's sexier <laughs> because there is that element of, I mean, not only is she my equal, she's probably better than me. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's not like I'm going to dominate her. I, I think she'd probably beat me up if I did something wrong. You know, also, I think she's it's a good role model. I would play this for my daughter. I would explain that we might not want to repeat those words in school, for example. But, but you know, I mean, boys want to be her. I mean, I think that's a great way for, for women. I, I'm a feminist. I'm a whole school feminist. Nelly, Nelly is a tool of the man. Uh, Peaches is nobody's tool. Uh, I, I tell you, I think I'll both, buy two copies of her record. I'm giving one to my nine year old. I, th- I think if you put the singles together from the Nelly Furtado record with the singles together from the Peaches record, you'd have a great record. But as it is, well, in a balanced record, record, I think there's a little need for balance there. Yeah. Right? Well, it, for my mind, on the rating scale, buy it, burn it, trash it. This is a burn it record for me. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. 
remember? We were shipwrecked together. Each week on Sound Opinions, either Greg or I take a turn popping a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox and play you a track without which we could not live. Certainly not in exile, anyway. Greg, it's your turn. Well, the discussion about peaches uh, got me all hot and bothered, Jim. I, I like artists who sow these seeds of confusion, who, who straddle the divide between rock and disco, between genders. Is she male? Is she female? What is she? Is she rock or is she disco? What is she? You hear this in Peach's music very much, and it's a longstanding tradition in pop music, this idea of identity. You know, David Bowie had that going on for decades and, and basically fashioned a career out of it. Madonna, to an extent, had, had this going on as well. What kind of music is she? What does she stand for? Who is she? Grace Jones, I think, is a prime example. Without an artist like Grace Jones, I'm not sure there would be an artist like Peaches. Grace Jones was a, a famous model in the 70s. Originally born Grace Mendoza in Jamaica, she was this statuesque woman with beautiful chiseled cheekbones, People viewed her as a work of art in itself. Meanwhile, she made some really bad disco records in the 70s, and people sort of dismissed her as, as a substantive artist. But then she got together with Chris Blackwell, the owner of Island Records, who created a studio in the Bahamas called Compass Point. And basically, his dream was to create sort of a house band for Compass Point, much like the house bands in Motown or in Stax, and uh, bring artists there and, and make records there. Mm-hmm. And, and the one artist who, who really took advantage of this was Grace Jones. She basically remade her career and reinvented herself in the Bahamas with this great rhythm section. And then the rhythm section included Robbie Shakespeare and Sly Dunbar, who we talked about here earlier in the show, as well as some European musicians who had played with people like uh, Marian Faithful and Roxy Music and created this wonderful backing band for Grace Jones to experiment and reinvent herself. And one thing this woman had, much like Peaches, much like Madonna, much like Bowie, she had attitude Mm. to spare. She brought a sense of personality that was larger than any room she walked into. And very unnatural. I mean, I remember a couple of different movie scenes where she's almost trotted out like a Terminator, like a (laughs) robot. Is this an alien? Is this even human? She, you know, both exotic, beautiful, and terrifying all at the same time. (laughs) And, And the wonderful thing about these recording sessions in Compass Point in the Bahamas was that she created not only three great records, but she reinterpreted a lot of the the music that meant something to her. So she was digging into the music of Iggy Pop and Brian Ferry and Bill Withers and even Joy Division and really kind of putting her own stamp on that music. Pull Up to the Bumper is probably the song that people remember from this era. It was a top five R&B hit for her. But I'm going to focus on one of the more obscure covers she did during this period. And uh, it's a version of uh, the Joy Division song, She's Lost Control. Joy Division's version, a classic. Ian Curtis, sort of this uh, detached sense of watching somebody unravel in front of his eyes. And what do you do about it? Well, Grace Jones flips the script, much like Meryl Nisker, much like Peaches does. Mm-hmm. She personalizes the song. She's Lost Control mm. becomes I've lost control <laughs> in this song. So Grace Jones embodies the object of Ian Curtis's song. So she's becoming this person who's essentially losing her mind as the song proceeds. And it's not hard to accept that. No, it's not hard to accept at all. In fact, coming from Grace Jones, it was like, wow, <laughs> you know, we totally believable. 
an incredible production job on it. There's this, you know, in the background, there's voices laughing, but it's a kind of a mirthless laugh. You know, the kind of laughter you would hear like in an insane asylum. People <laughs> laughing just to hear the sound of laughter because they really don't know what it sounds like. We, we hear that in our pro- from our producers Occasionally, often, yes. Yeah. A mirthless laugh, yes. Tires screeching and this incredible bubbling Jamaican rhythm section behind her, totally recontextualizing Joy Division's new wave classic and making it into something new and alien. And it really does sound like notes from the insane asylum. It sounds like a person who is being institutionalized, and she is fighting tooth and nail to get the heck out of that place. And that's what uh, this song really represents here, as far as I'm concerned. Joy Division's She's Lost Control, as covered by Grace Jones from the early 80s on Sound Opinions. Confusion in her eyes that says it all. I've lost control. Heavy stuff from Greg Cott, his <laughs> Desert Island jukebox pick, She's Lost Control, by the uh, unforgettable star of the James Bond flick, View to a Kill, and Conan the Destroyer, and other not-so-memorable movies, Grace Jones. You were reaching on that one, Cott. I think it was only appropriate, given, you know, if we talk about peaches, you got to bring <laughs> Grace Jones into the discussion somewhere along the line. You're the one that's going to get us kicked off public radio. I'm working on it every minute. It's the sly subversion Absolutely. versus the loud. But I hope, Jim, we can stay on for at least one more week, because next week we have the pleasure of bringing you the Bell Rays, who are yes. one of the very best bands in America right now. And uh, more people need to know about this band. They have a live performance in our studio that is just going to burn the house down. We have some thank yous to say on the way out. Tori Malatia is, as always, our executive producer. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Fingerspiegel is our producer. Associate producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. We get some legal help from Dino Armiros, some technical assistance from Joe Dassault, and Jim Russell is the biggest darn Grace Jones and Peaches fan we know at American Public Media. (laughs) 
<laughs> Grace Jones and Peaches just pulled up in the limo outside. I'm going to go grab Tori. I think he's going to want to jump in with him. What do you think, Jeff? Let's get him the bulletproof vest first. But yeah, let's send him. 